Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Several months ago, I had a private weekend with three couples. They asked me to come to a, one of their homes. They all came together for the whole weekend. And they said, Friday night, all day Saturday, Sunday morning, we just want you to talk to us about the Word of God and take us deeper. Challenge us with the Word. And we did that. The next week, uh, I got up early one morning, went in. First thing I did was check my emails in my office. And I had an email from one of the participants in that weekend. And in over 40 years of ministry, no one has ever asked me this question that she asked. And this was the question. She said to me, Brother Avery, I've been raised in church. As a matter of fact, I was a preacher's kid. She said, we pastored for many years and then we moved to a Bible college campus and we lived on that campus for most of my life. Uh, where I was around Bible faculty. I sat in chapel. And since that time, my husband and I have been engaged in ministry. But she said, after this weekend, I was challenged, and here's my question to you. She said, what matters most to God? She said, if you'll give me a list of things prioritize that matter most to God. She said, I'm going to commit my life, the rest of my life, to doing the things that are the most important to God. In over 40 years of ministry, no one's ever asked me that question. I certainly didn't just flippantly say, okay, bang, 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 here they are. I spent a couple of weeks just praying and seeking and going back over the Bible. This is a big book with lots of pages and lots of things that are very important to you and I. How do you condense it? How do you encapsulate what is most important to God? And then I got frustrated. I thought, I've been through several colleges I've been in 40 years of ministry. Nobody's ever posed that question to me like that. And I thought to myself, what's wrong with the church? What's wrong with us? The, the business world certainly gets it. I just recently watched a documentary on Bill Gates' brain. <laughs> it's an amazing documentary. But the thing I took away from it in an interview with Gates, here's what he said. He said, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to accomplish something in life, you got to find out what matters most and pour your heart into that. When I was president of a Bible college, I often had people who somehow couldn't get their job. What was important in their job? And I'd bring them into office. I'd just get a piece of, of letter-sized paper. I'd draw a pyramid on it. And then I'd draw two lines and I'd go one, two, three. And at the top of the pyramid, I said, here's what's most important in this job. This is primary. Get it done. Make sure your focus is there. If you get that done, you can drop down to number two. And if you get number two done, that just means you're probably a really, really good employee. And here's number three. 
And if you get number three done, man, that's really icing on the cake. But I don't want this pyramid turned upside down. I don't want you to focus on threes when you ought to be focusing on what's in number one. And they seem to get it. Why is it the church doesn't seem to get that? Why is it right here, right here, you, you students? Why is it we sometimes miss that and we start chasing rabbit trails and devote our lives to a whole bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter at all? So what matters most to God? I began to pour over that. And I started walking the pages and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to the Sermon on the Mount first. That's the place where Jesus portrays the kingdom. The kingdom with its alternative values to this present world. It's where he outlines the things that are really important, where he has a deep dive meditation into the law of God, where he brings his true core values together. And at the very, very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 31, you're going to walk right into this statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Literally, that's translated, make a matter of first importance the kingdom. So I put a stake there. I decided to walk on into the, to the Gospels a little further and I bumped into... Lazarus and Mary and Martha at their house and lo and behold Jesus was sitting there in the in the main entertainment area the living room we would call it and everybody was surrounding looking in the windows looking in the doors he was teaching and sharing and in the next room over a little lean-to I heard pots and pans bumping and noise being made and Martha was over there and she was fixing a meal for everybody and she, you could just tell she was upset she was having to do all this work by herself and suddenly she kind of exploded, walks into the middle of that crowd sitting at the feet of Jesus and Mary, her sister, is sitting right at his feet. And Martha said to Jesus, Master, tell Mary to get up and come into the kitchen and help me. And Jesus, cool, calm, never broke a, just never broke a sweat, just looked up and said, oh, Martha, you're troubled about so many things, but guess what? Mary has chosen the one essential thing. I kept walking and I ended up down around the temple, Southern Steps, Jesus' favorite teaching place. And lo and behold, standing off to the side just a little bit was one of the most brilliant scribal lawyers upcoming guys in the city. He's the equivalent of a Harvard Yale grad rolled into one. And when Jesus finishes teaching, he comes up and said, good master, I got a question for you. What's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus turned to him and said, here's the greatest, that you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, all the law, which is the Torah, the first five books, and the prophets, which was everything else. Basically, all the revealed scriptures in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, everything hangs on those commandments, everything. Everything. 
So you put a stake there. I wanted to hear Paul's spin on this, and so I made my way into the epistles. And Paul was testifying to the Philippian church, and here's what he said. He began to list his credentials. He said, you know, I was a, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as touching the law, blameless. But, he said, I have counted everything, everything as garbage. He didn't say it was garbage. He said, I've counted it as garbage that I may know Christ. And to the Galatian church who had left the way of the Spirit and had turned back to the way of law, Paul said to them, nothing else matters but faith expressing itself in love. So I began to put all of that together. That's quite a handful. And I began to draw it together, pull it together, encapsulate it, and here's what I've decided matters most to God. Three things. It's a trilogy. You can't break them apart. You got to keep them together. Number one, it's knowing God rightly. Number two is loving God totally. And number three, it's loving others selflessly. Those three things hang together. And I believe can let us know what matters most to God. Now the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to know God rightly? Why do you put that one first? Because the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't know Him rightly. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24 said, you want to boast, if a mighty man wants to boast in his strength, he said, no, don't boast in that. You want to boast in your wisdom? No. He said, you want to boast in your, your might? No. He said, you want to boast in something? Boast in this. Boast in the fact that you know me. You understand who I really am. Knowing him rightly. It was Dallas Willard, some of the great mystics of the church, A.W. Tozer, a great mystic of the church, both said almost the same thing. He said the most important, Tozer said the most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. Dallas Willard said it just a little bit different. He said the single most important thing in our mind is our idea of God and all of its associated images. Knowing Him rightly. When you know God rightly, it's three components. Number one, it's informational. It means you learn about Him in this book. Your, your theme for this year is declare the Word. Your president's convocation talked about embracing the Word. If you want to know God rightly, here's the place to do it. Here's the place he reveals himself. It's informational. Get good information in your head. When you don't have good information in your head, you either make God somebody that doesn't care and he waves everything off, or on the other side you make him a micromanaging perfectionist that nobody can ever please. And some of you are bouncing between the two. Knowing Him rightly is good information, but it also, not only is it informational, it's experiential. We talked about that yesterday, so I'm not going to go back over it. But there has to be a place in your life somewhere that you meet God, you know God, you are born again. But it's primarily relational. It's learning to walk with Him on a daily 
regular basis. It's knowing Him intimately. Jesus Himself defined eternal life. Here's how He defined it. He said, and this is eternal life. Knowing, in the Greek word that's used there, it's not just intellectual knowledge, it's an intimate knowledge. Some of you know my wife by just, she's sitting here on the front seat. You may just know her when you see her. You may even know her name, but you don't know her like I know her. I know her intimately. And that's, that's exactly, he's saying, I want you to know God in intimate, personal relationship where you walk with Him and talk with Him intimately. I find it quite interesting that the five foolish virgins, the pronouncement on the thing that really kept them out of the door is the bridegroom said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Same word used here. Matthew chapter 7, those guys who had done miraculous things for, for what they said, oh, we've done this and this and this. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Paul said you can give your body to be burned. You can do all sorts of things. But without love, without knowing Him, it doesn't matter. Knowing Him rightly, right up there. You may end up being the brightest student on this campus. You may end up being the valedictorian. You may end up being one of the most successful businessmen and you can come back and contribute 50 or 60 or $70 million. But if you don't know him, you've missed it a million miles. You've had a wasted life. You may walk out of here and then put your picture and the Student Life Center is the greatest soccer player they've ever had. But if you leave here not knowing him, you're one of the greatest failures they've ever had. Knowing him rightly. But the second thing is loving him totally. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. What in the world does that mean? That's a... That's a that's a pregnant statement. It's so filled with things. What does it mean? Well, you, you can condense it. When we talk about loving God totally, what are we talking about? Well, quite simply, we start by saying we make much of Him in our lives. We esteem Him highly find it interesting when Satan and, and God were having that strange conversation in the book of Job. And God said, if you consider my servant Job, and, and here's God's testimony about Job. He said, he, he's a man that, that fears me and stays away from things that aren't right. Stays away from evil. And the word he used for feared is the word esteem. He, he, he puts me in this amazing high place in his life. He is first place in his, I'm first place in his life and everybody knows that. So loving God totally means esteeming him highly. Putting a great deal of emphasis on God in my life. You know, 22 years in a Bible college, we gave away these uh, awards to like the Good Citizen Student of the Month or whatever. And we'd do that regularly in chapel. And it was so interesting. <laughs> you can tell when you got it right. 
if you can tell when you got it right, if, if you got the right student and everybody in the, in, the, in the school knew, hey, this is really a good kid, that chapel would roar with applause. But if we missed it and somebody kind of, you know, we just didn't, we gave it to the wrong person, you could tell too. Student body, very subdued, polite applause. What am I saying? I'm saying everybody around here knows you. They know what you really are. And they know if you esteem him. Do you esteem him highly? Is he, is he important in your life? That's loving God totally. It means we not only esteem him highly, it means we trust him implicitly. We have put our faith in him and him alone. We trust him implicitly. He knows the way that I take. He's taking, I can trust him implicitly. It also means not only do I trust him implicitly, it means I obey him thoroughly. Complete, easy, relaxed obedience. I'm going to hammer this just a little bit again this morning because I'm deeply troubled by the careless, reckless theology that booms out over TV and radio that I can be a Christian and do whatever I please. I can be a Christian and live any kind of life I want to live. That's absolute heresy and nonsense. Remember what I said yesterday? We are saved by faith alone, but faith that never remains alone. Saving faith is proven by our obedience to God. To love Him totally means to esteem Him highly. It means to trust Him implicitly. It means to obey Him fully. But it also means something else. I'm just going to say it in, in a simple way. It doesn't rhyme, but I'm going to say it. It means we're all in. We're just simply all in. None of you were alive in World War II, and I don't know anything about World War II either. I was not alive at that time, but I love to read about World War II. And one of the amazing things in World War II, if, if you're a student of that history of, of American history, that we were being overrun in the Pacific Theater by the Japanese. The Japanese Navy and Army were literally dominating the Pacific Theater. And one of our greatest generals, MacArthur, was chased out of the Pacific Theater and had to come back. But we began to manufacture some ships and we rebuilt our Navy and we began to make our way back and we started making inroads. And when we started making inroads, we actually started dropping some bombs on Tokyo. And when those bombs began to fall on Tokyo, the Japanese generals began to say, what in the world are we going to do there? We've got to take desperate measures or we're going to lose this war. And they reached back into their ancient history and they pulled out a sacred ritual called Harry Carey, noble suicide. And they started manufacturing these, 
these cut-down planes that had small fuel tanks and almost no equipment, just enough equipment to get the plane where it needed to go, and that was it. And what they were doing is they were flying these planes into our carriers and into our ships, and they were literally putting the fear of God in our Navy because these guys were all in. They didn't expect to come back. And they built hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these planes. But here's what I want to point out in this story. As fast as they built those planes, they had a volunteer to fly them. They had more volunteers to fly planes than they built planes. Those guys were all in. We talk about loving God totally. I'm talking about being all in. I mean all in for Christ. Not halfway, not partly. I mean all in. My life is all His. When Paul was headed, making his last trip to Jerusalem, he stopped at Ephesus. The Ephesian elders gathered around him, and Agabus, one of the prophets, was there and said, Don't go down there. The Spirit is revealed to me. They're going to do something to you. And he took Paul's belt and he tied himself up with it and said, Here's what they're going to bind you. And they began to cry. And here's what Paul said. He said, for crying out loud, don't, be, don't cry. Don't get me crying. Don't cry. Don't you understand? I'm not only ready to go to Jerusalem to suffer, but I'm ready to die for Christ. What do you do with a man who's ready to die? Nothing you can do with him. He's all in. Are you all in? It means loving God totally. But the last thing it means, loving others selflessly. Trace it all through the old and in the new. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in your neighbor as yourself. These are the two things that everything hinges on. Loving others selflessly. How do you do that? A couple of ways. Number one, just by living a gospel-shaped life. Letting your life be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ is loving others so living out the gospel and gospel attitudes and, and gospel principles in front of your students, your, your, your classmates. But it also means what's found in Matthew chapter 25. When you start loving others and treating others as if you would treat Jesus, that last section of Matthew 25, that judgment day scene, sheeps and goats, you guys know the story, I don't have to retell it. But what's so amazing to me in that story when that judgment day scene at the end of times and the goats are uh, placed on the left hand, the, the sheep on the right hand, and the risen Lord sitting on a throne and he's saying to, the, to, the, to those on his right hand, the favored ones, he said, I was in prison, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick. I, w I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was sick and you came unto me. I was a stranger and you took me right into the inner circle of your life. They said, oh, Lord, when did we see all of this? They said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I was listening to the trip to Louisiana. If you guys think that's just another trip, that's just, you know, we're a Christian school. We do these things. We go off on trips. I want to tell you something. That, those kids on that trip doing what they're going to do, they're doing the works of Jesus. They're doing unto him doing unto Him. Some of you would know from reading his textbook on homiletics 
Dr. Hayden Robinson, who was a professor, short-term president at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, University. He told this story in trying to explain this idea. He said, I dreamed that I died and went to heaven. And back in the day, you all have cell phones, you've got Outlook, you've got Google Calendar, you've got all of that stuff. Back in the day, you didn't have any of that. And everybody carried these little, little calendars in their pocket, strange looking little creatures. And they kept up with everything. He was just he was known for always having his pocket calendar, always keeping up with things. And he said, I dreamed I died and I went to heaven and I was standing before the Lord. And he said, the Lord said to me, Robinson, he said, got your calendar? He said, yes, Lord, got it right here. He said, he pulled it right out. And he said, hey, I want you to look back on April the 7th, 1976. He said, oh, Lord, I don't need to look at that date. He said, I know exactly what happened there. He said, that was the date that Newsweek magazine listed me on their front cover as one of the top five evangelical communicators in the world. I know what happened that date. He said, no, Robinson, I'm not talking about that. I didn't notice. He said, I'm talking about a class you had that day. It was actually your first period class. He said, you had a full schedule that day, full set of meetings and classes. It was a busy, busy day. But he said, I'm talking about that class. Do you remember Robinson at the end of that class? He said, there was a young lady sitting at the very back of the room in that class. And when the class was over, everybody dismissed. You were quickly packing up your briefcase to get out of there. And when you started out the door, you looked and saw she had never moved. You looked closer and saw she was crying. He said, you stopped, set your briefcase down, made your way back, sat down by her. You reached over and said, Janice, what's wrong? And said, she turned to you and explained that six weeks ago her brother had overdosed on drugs and had certainly died without Christ and she, she could hardly bear that burden. And that very morning, she said, my father had just dropped dead with a heart attack. She said, Dr. Robinson, I am so rattled. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where God is in all of this. I'm, so, I'm struggling. He said, Robinson, you sat there with her. You prayed with her. You counseled her. You spent 45 minutes, missed a class, missed a meeting. He said, Robinson, that was really me sitting in that desk. And I've never forgotten it. He said, I want you to fast forward to March the 3rd, 1984. He said, oh, I, I don't need to look at my calendar. He said, Lord, that's when they elected me president of the Evangelical Theological Society. And he said, no, Robinson, that's what I'm talking about. Didn't, I don't even go to those conventions. Not what I'm talking about. He said, do you remember when you got home from that convention after presenting this paper on hermeneutics? He said, yes, Lord, I do. It was late. It was a tire. It was in the evening. He said, when you got home, your wife met you at the door. And he said, first thing she said was, Hayden, she said, there's a couple, a young married couple that felt the call of God into the ministry, sold everything they've had. 
and they've made their way here to Massachusetts to go to school. They found a place just down the street to rent, a little bitty house. I got word today from someone that they, everything they had it took to make a down payment on their, the house to get to, to rent there and said so they don't even have any money for food. The risen Lord said, when you heard that, you made your way to your study. You picked up an envelope, got out a piece of paper, wrote a note, signed it anonymously. You took all the money you had in your billfold and in your desk. You stuffed it in that envelope. You made your way under the cover of darkness down to that little house. You saw there was a mail slot on the door. You slipped that envelope through the door and you knocked real hard on the door. When you heard footsteps coming, you dashed off. Robinson, that was me in that house. And I've never forgotten it. Loving others selflessly. You say, Brother Avery, for crying out loud, they want me to give $10 to this Louisiana trip. What does that matter? Lots of people. There's tons of money going to be floating in there. It won't make any difference. Well, everybody remembers the old story. The freak tide on the Atlantic shore. Thousands and thousands of starfish were washed up, stranded on the beach. Little boy making his way down to the beach early to run on the beach one morning. He sees all these starfish washed up. He panics. He begins to throw them in as quickly as he can, trying to save them. There's an old, gray-haired, crotchety old man walking on the boardwalk, walking his dog. He sees this kid throwing in starfish. He stops, he stares at him, hands on hip, shouts out and said, Hey, boy, what are you doing? He said, Sir, I'm... I'm trying to save some starfish. He said, it won't make any difference. You're wasting your time. And the little boy reached down, picked up a starfish and held it up to the man. He said, it'll matter to this one. And he threw him in. It'll matter to some kid in that ravaged area of Louisiana when a student puts their arm around him and speaks a word of kindness. It'll matter to some homeowner when some garbage and some trees are, it will matter. And guess what? Jesus is going to say one of these days, that was me. That was me. That was me you were doing this to. Students in a major Christian university, one of the best in America, could you actually walk through here and never get what matters most to God? Some probably will. They'll miss it. But I believe it's this. It's knowing Him rightly, loving Him totally, and loving others selflessly. I've been praying for you for weeks. You hardly see me around here. I get it. But I've still been praying for you. I've been talking to God about what to talk to you about. He spoke about some of you need a new beginning. Yesterday, very clearly, some of you need a new birth. You need, to, you need to see and enter the kingdom of God through faith, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Today we talked about what really matters most. And now I'm going to ask you for a response. 
1836, 200 men were holed up in a little mission in Alamo, Texas. 6,000 Mexican troops were outside, led by Santa Ana. They were down to the last day of battle, the last ammunition. It was going to be over before the sun set the next day. General William Travis gathered that ragtag, beat up group of Westerners together and he said, here's what, he's, here's what he did. Took his sword, drew a line in the sand inside that mission. He stepped over on this side of the line. He said, gentlemen, all I can offer you is certain death. But he said, every man that's willing to stay with me and fight to the death tomorrow, I want you to cross that line. And that group of people, like one man, stepped across that line. Jim Bowie, the famous knife, had been wounded, severely wounded. He was on a cot, he couldn't walk. And he begged them to pick him up and they picked him up and carried him across that line. Today, at the beginning of this school year, this spiritual life week, with all of the things we've talked about, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna ask you to step across the line and tell three worlds I'm all in. Some of you aren't all in. But some of you that aren't all in actually want to be all in, you've told me. If you want to be all in, I want you to step across the line. And when you step across that line, I want you to talk to Jesus and say, I want you to fix everything in my heart that needs to be fixed. I want to be all yours. Some of you are all in. But you're timid and backward and bashful and you've hidden your light and your witness. When it needs to be glowing on this campus, it needs to be in leadership fashion. I want you to step across the line and let three worlds know, hey, I'm all in. I'm in for a Christ-filled school year. I'm in for a Christ-filled soccer team or a Christ-filled volleyball team, a Christ-filled esports. I'm all in. I'm all in for Christ. This isn't a popularity contest, so if you don't mean it, don't come. But if you mean it or want to mean it, I want you to stand. There's not enough room at the front. I know that. So I want you to come all the way up these steps. I want you to flood this platform. I want you to take these steps. I want you to take the ground level. I want you to come. I want you to come now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on up. Make room at the bottom. Come on up. I want you to come. If this is what I'm all in. This is going to be a different school year, a Christ-filled school year. By God's grace, I'm going to give leadership, spiritual leadership to this place. I'm all in. I'm all in. Come on. I'm all in. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait. I'm all in. Come on. Say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm really not all in, but I'd like to be. 
step across the line and say, God, do whatever you need to do in my heart. I want to be all in this school year. I want to be a spiritual component on this campus. I want my light to shine. I want to live for the glory of God. I want to know you rightly and love you totally and love others selflessly. I want to be all in. I want to focus on what matters most. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.